Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information, and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to all our listeners. It's Brendan here with Mark, the Vet Gurus, vetgurus.com. And don't forget to visit the website. It's amazing how many of our listeners, Mark, um, who they don't realise that if they jump on our website, vetgurus.com, they will see the show notes and more and lots all the links to the news items and also a spot there where you can throw us a bone as we talk about Mark, isn't it? It helps support us by giving us a little donation. So, yeah, vetgurus.com. Well, this week, Mark, it is a special, and it's one we've been We've been, we recorded a while ago in 2018 at the UPAV, the Unusual Pet, Pet Exotic Veterinarians Conference in Adelaide, South Australia. And it's a very good friend of ours, Tristan Rich. And it is an interview with Tristan during the conference in our hotel room, if I remember, Mark, I think. And, um, gee, Tristan's a, Lovely man, and um, he has a fascinating story to tell. And the first half, I think, he talks about how he went viral, didn't he, Mark? Um, how he went viral. And that's what we're going to talk about. So do you want to mention anything else about the introduction? Well, all I, was gonna, I was just going to say, just reiterate exactly what you said, that he's, um, that he's such a fascinating personality. And it's typical of, like, all the people that are involved in the Unusual Pets and the Exotic Vets group and um, uh, the avian vets and the people who do the sort of work that you and I do is that they often have really interesting and complicated and, um, uh, you know, they, they're all sort of heroes, Without necessarily shouting out from the top of the the, uh, the roof that they are, and um, and so it, it's really good to be able to um, get someone like Tristan onto our podcast and uh, listen to his story. Absolutely, and I think what we're going to do, Mark, because it was a, a decent sized interview lengthwise, so we're going to jump straight into that, and we aren't going to have any news this week. So let's talk to Tristan. Well, Mark, we've had a, this is a bit of a recorded podcast of a, a special guest here and um, from the UPAV conference in Adelaide, um, and we have a very good friend of ours and a very long-time friend of mine, Tristan Rich, who's a very famous exotics vet in Australia here. He doesn't think he is, but he's famous, and I think Tristan will open with probably your most famous viral Yes. <laughs> Do you want to tell a little bit of a, a story on, on what that was for the listeners who don't know about it? Sure. Do you, want, do you want me to tell the story or do you yes, want to tell the story? No, you can tell it. <laughs> you tell it better than I do, Tristan. Yeah, I think it's going to be engraved on my gravestone. Hang on, let me check the battery level. Yes, <laughs> yeah. we've got enough time. Yeah, away we go. So, yeah, I had a little, a little patient once and they had a little lump on its, on its head and we took off the, the lump and then we decided to, it was a slightly unusual case, so we put it on, put it on Facebook and then it went, it did literally go viral, it went from... 100 likes to 500 likes to 500,000 likes to um, 
to the newspapers all over the world trying to ring up. Um, I was too busy for the... Actually, I had to... I had to decline an interview with the BBC because I was too busy, so I don't think many people could be in that position. To say now, that what's they've, so um, special, Tristan? What's so special about this patient? You said a, a little patient with a lump on it. What species was it? Yeah, so it was a goldfish. A goldfish, <laughs> yes. Um, you know, it's just a little your average goldfish, um, and the owner wanted to do something about it, so I'm more than happy to, to give it a go. So, I mean, it's a, something that I have done in the past, and... Definitely initially, soon after that, did it very frequently, but it hasn't backed down <laughs> afterwards. But, um, yeah, I did it. It's a technique that I definitely didn't pioneer, but, yeah, I think it was just... So, anaesthetic, so it was a, it was an obvious mass on this goldfish, and, and what, was the, what was the anaesthetic you used? Because I'm sure our, our vets and our nurses, technicians who listen to the podcast would love to know what sort of anaesthetic you used and how, you know... Did anything go wrong? Did anything go wrong? Did anything go right with it? Well, obviously, because you got the millions of hits and you become an international viral superstar with it. Uh, just was this four hundred and fifty newspapers worldwide, oh, and uh, <laughs> and all the national television shows in America, and um, I am in print in Ripley's Believe It or Not, which is pretty amazing. There's <laughs> a story on page, I think. Well, I can't remember, I think it was, what was it called eye-boggling eye oddities, um, weird things that happened. Yeah, there's a three-quarter page spread on it, which if anyone wants to copy, contact my mum because she's got, <laughs> she went out and cleared the bookshop. <laughs> Excellent. So tell, so tell how us did about it happen? the anaesthetic. Yeah, yeah. so um, his name was George, George the Goldfish. He was probably, I think he was about 10 at the time already, just out in, out in the pond, and the owner had noticed this lump growing slowly over time and then decided to reach the point decided to do something about it um it was clearly a tumor um i anesthetized it the way i've anesthetized fish for a while i use alfaxan or faxaline i'm not sure if it's okay to mention drug names yeah um yeah so alfaxan in the water it's quite a simple technique i do it dose it per liter of water so four milligrams a liter to anesthetize it for induction two milligrams a litre for maintenance and um, for recovery, uh, just normal water. So it's always important to use tank water rather than fresh water. So you always make sure, if, if I'm going to go down this path or it sounds like I'm going to go down this path, I get the clients to bring in at least 20 litres of water, sometimes more. So some... Sometimes people come in with three, four buckets of 20 litres, which is so far bit, too much. It's a bit like my, my rabbit clients come in with their little lunch pack. So yeah. your fish clients come in with the buckets. tank of water. Yeah, with buckets, yeah. <laughs> um, it's really handy. Sometimes I have had a few people where they've come in initially for the consult and then gone home and grabbed the water and then come back rather than trying to, trying to reschedule. But um, the challenge, so the idea of putting them in different baths is nothing new. Um, a lot of people use, there are, in Australia, there's only the one registered anaesthetic aqueous, which is essentially um, purified clove oil. So I know some people do actually use clove oil it, itself, which is much, much cheaper, but probably less reliable. Um, Alfaxan is not registered for anaesthetic, but it's, you know, it works, works really well. Um, and the idea of putting it in a stronger solution to knock it out and then a milder solution to keep it asleep and then no solution is, you know, it's across the board, yeah. But um, the challenge, I think, really is keeping it maintained on anaesthetic outside of the water. So there's a few techniques that I've... Oh, well, it's really only two, two main techniques. And 
The one that I use for George is using a siphon, essentially, so using gravity, siphoning the water down through a tube into its mouth, over its gills, and that way it oxygenates and keeps the anaesthetic agent going in. And then you can also keep the fish, keep the fish out of water. So um, the gravity works really well. The other, the other technique that a lot of people do that I um, didn't do this time for, I think probably because the equipment had gone walking, um, set it up with a little pump. So pump the water up, same thing, through a tube, over the gills and back down. So if you put them in a, over the top of a container, then you can sort of recycle the, the water. So you don't need to have so much water. But if you're going to do, especially if you're going to do a long procedure, you want quite so, a bit of water. So, so Tristan, then for the actual procedure itself, what do you place in the, the fish on um, to, to, to pad it? Yeah, so um, set it on a set it on a, a damp cloth on the, the table. I, did, I don't know if I used a heat pad or not. Sometimes I do. I think I didn't because goldfish, like, they're probably more comfortable colder. But there might have been a heat pad, I'm not sure, I can't remember. Anyway, yeah, so you can take them out of the... Once they're anaesthetised, take them out of the water, set up your, your tube. I actually, to backtrack a little bit, I generally pre-med with an opioid as well. Just I think it helps with the induction. Um, it seems to go down a lot a lot smoother and, and faster. And what so what choice do you have there? I use, I use methadone. Just well, I don't because, worry about yeah. dose rates, but yeah. And what about on the fish? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Steadies your hand. Yeah. Steadies your hand. And Medazolam makes me uh, f- forget so, what so happened. How, so, so how long did the actual surgery take? I think it was about half an hour from end to end by the time it happened. Um, the tumour was decent sized. and Where um, on the body was the tumour? On the top of its head. Okay. So it was quite funny thinking about tumours on the head. and I mean, the whole, the whole three days was a blur and a quite a ride but there was actually one time when the nurses or the receptionist fielded a phone call from a human hospital in the states i think it was houston i think it was houston <laughs> so they specialize or they house people with terminal brain tumors so that the story morphed from a goldfish with a tumor on its head to a goldfish with a brain, brain tumor. tumor so we got a phone call from this specialist hospital in the states asking was it actually a brain tumour or was it a tumour in its head? Because our patients are angry that you can fix a goldfish with a tumour in its brain and we can't. <laughs> so well, that's, that's the thing that fascinates me. Like, in real time, you can see this, like, you know, you, you've got lots of uh, excellent social media posts on the Facebook page mm. and a lot of them get decent hits. Some just don't take off. What, what was it like to watch this just, oh, it was like, amazing. Yeah, exponentially? Just, yeah, and not know why. And... <laughs> And the other sort of slight anecdote to that as well, when I was doing that procedure, we actually had a film crew in to film another procedure, which was a, I think it was a wombat with a broken leg or whatever. Um, so they came in to film that. It was going to be in the news. We offered them for them to stay for the goldfish, and they said, no, no one cares about that. <laughs> so they left. Um, and then they didn't even use the The initial story never never got taken up. But, yeah, it was quite amazing just watching it, watching it grow. And I think the thing that... So to speak... So to speak, yeah. <laughs> um, the the nurse on the day had brought in her nice fancy camera because she was going to enter into a photo competition. Um, the vet nurses board every year of a photo competition, so th- she brought a nice camera in to do that, and she got some pretty nice photos. And so I think just the combination of everything just seemed to seem to take off. And we put it on on the Friday, and I just watched it sort of yeah rack up a couple of hits, and then on the Monday. 
got a phone call from one of the radio stations, local radio stations, who had seen. They said they'd been tracking it. They, they keep an eye on the web, the website or the Facebook page, anyway. Um, so I did my first interview, which then also had sound clips taken from it from other places. I didn't. I did that initial interview in my car after walking the dog. <laughs> they rang me on my mobile. I did my 20-second interview on the phone, thought that would be the end of it. And then, yeah, the requests just started rolling in. And as it was travelling, you could actually you could track it as the sun was coming up across the world where it would be, yeah, Japan's oh, really? calling. It was amazing, yeah. And so... Um, we have a we had a we have a media liaison person. We have a Facebook person, um, and at that stage they were both just fielding phone calls <laughs> um, because initially they'd given initially I'd taken that initial phone call on my phone. Um, the journalist or whoever was sharing my phone number to all their contacts, and so my phone was going crazy as well. So I just gave my phone to um, the media liaison, Deb, and so she was fielding both phone calls. So for basically 48 hours, I had two PAs that were just scheduling in 15-minute, yes, 15-minute um, um, interviews. And this is why I had to turn the BBC down because they missed their interview, and they <laughs> and they <laughs> tried to turn the BBC. Yeah, down. exactly. Fantastic. Now, for those of you who don't know, Tristan, the the clinic you work at is a very busy clinic. So, do you want to talk about the the caseload, not just with exotics, but with and, just and, in general? Yeah, and yeah, and the name of it is fine, and where it's located. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so it's the, it's called the Lord Smith. It's in North Melbourne. Um, it's been there since the the thirties. So it was originally set up by a woman called Louisa Lortsmith, it's L-O-R-T, not L-O-I-D, so everyone gets that confused, so that was actually her surname, set up as a, it's a not-for-profit, um, targeting people of lower socioeconomic means. Um, I think in the initial days it was basically free and things have changed, but um, the aim is to provide affordable. good, affordable, yeah, and also a high, high enough level, so not just scraping by healthcare, you know, uh, Decent health healthcare for the, for people's pets who can't necessarily afford the, the full treatment, and everything is a little bit cheaper than the average. So there's definitely cheaper places around. Um, it's definitely more expensive places around. Um, but their main advantage is anyone with any kind of a healthcare card, so any kind of like social security or welfare, get a twenty five percent discount, and anybody can can pay the bill off. So there's no interest on that. On that, um, on that loan, it's not really a loan. I think they just basically let people pay it off in, in instalments. So, yes. So I think that's a great advantage of and, it. And number-wise, am I correct in that it is the busiest non-profit veterinary clinic or, or, or well, in, yeah, in the world? Well, I don't know if it's in the world. It's definitely the. I think depending on how you crunch the numbers, it's definitely the biggest animal hospital, full stop, in Australia, and one of the busiest, biggest, if not biggest, animal hospitals at all in the southern hemisphere. But Do I'm you one have of the any biggest, ideas on the numbers of animals that go through each year? Or um, obviously, dogs and cats primarily. Can, yes, primarily dogs and cats. I mean, I. I could get some numbers if you, if you want. <laughs> That's yeah. fine. But, um, That's fine. Yeah, so I think, <laughs> we're, you know, we're, talk not, about we're not the BBC, we're yeah. the best <laughs> But, yeah, yeah, I mean, if you get on the um, on the website, there's yeah, you can get on the AGMs, all the annual reports there. But, it's yeah, it's staggering. You're talking tens about tens of thousands, yeah. Um, I remember doing a, a talk, and I talked about the numbers a year or so ago, 
Right. And um, I think that the field is something like 250,000 phone calls in the year. Wow. So, um, yeah, 60 odd vets on the books. I think and then half of them come to see the, the fish vet <laughs> after that amazing experience. You can see how Tristan is such a fascinating character with the first half of the interview there, but I was. Um, Surprised? Well, not surprised really. I was just um, very pleased actually that Tristan won the Toady Award at that particular conference for the most interesting and unusual and informative presentation. And you can see why he won that award, Mark, because he um, is 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 a very funny, dry, humorous person. And um, yeah, I think you were there when he he gave his presentation at the conference, weren't you, Mark? That's right. I was indeed. So, and, and the thing about that presentation is, much like his story today, um, he delivers it as flat as a tack and the humour is just in the story itself. There's no inflection that leads you to think that something funny is about to happen or something strange or... It, it, time in, Mark. It's all in the time in. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to learn, Brendan. <laughs> Yes, no. Um, his his presentation, which which I don't think he um, spoke about in this particular interview. His presentation was about another one of his adventures, and it, it started off fairly fairly dryly. Um, and and he was just talking about the particular Adam species, which was a reptile that he was dealing with um, on Christmas Island, um, which is an island off the coast of Australia. And uh, as the presentation went on, it, it became. Mm, funnier and funnier more and more humorous and um yeah it was fantastic and um he ran away with that particular award the toady award the voting was he he was almost twice the next um person um as far as the numbers go so it was it was good to see and and well deserved so so let's get back into the second half of our interview with tristan now, I'm going to take you back a little bit, Tristan, to to another, um, and you've had some wonderful experiences that you've shared with me and probably a lot more that you don't <laughs> want to share with me, um, and that's you spent a little bit of time, well, you have spent a lot of time overseas, and um, you've got a big connection with um, um, the Asia-Pacific area, and you spent time... Um, how many years ago was it? Now I'm not quite sure where, where you spent a little um, volunteer for what a year or two um, in in Borneo. Do you want to talk about what you did there? Yeah, so that was um, in 2006, 2007. So it's going back yeah, so 11, 11 years. years. Yeah, um, yeah. So I spent a year in a, an orangutan rehabilitation centre, which was great. And there's a I was lucky enough to go through essentially a volunteer program through the Australian government, which they managed all the visas and the flights and everything, and I got a, a living allowance, which was more more than enough, which was, which is really lucky for that to happen. And yeah, it's quite an uh, amazing experience. Um, I met my now wife there, so literally is pretty life, was pretty life changing. But yeah, wasn't intending to do it, but you know that's what now, happens sometimes. Now you may um, spoil one of my favourite stories here, um, Tristan. But I often tell people the story that, and I've probably changed it to make it sound more funny about one of the orangutans that you um, used to deal with there, and that you you said at one stage you were quite proud in that they named one of the orangutans Tristan. Yeah. Um, and um, and and you quizzed them and said, oh well, gee, that you felt quite proud because um, they named one of the orangutans after you because you were treating and looking after the orangutans there as a veterinarian um, until you realised that um, the one they called Tristan, they picked the ugliest one. Yeah, they no, they did that They did that on purpose with me standing right there. 
<laughs> there was three that came in on that day, and they're like, no, we're picking that one, the ugly one. I'm like, no, no, what about the other one? What are the other one? No, 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 no. <laughs> is but, um, Tristan still alive? Yeah, not only is he still alive, but it's due to get released Excellent. almost, almost... Well, almost now, I think soon. So, yeah. where, where, which, because there's a number of rehab facilities. Yeah, which one? Which one? Yeah, so the place I spent the most amount of time is called Nyaru Menteng, which is run by um, Boss, Borneo Orangutan Survival. So, they've got two main centres. I, I did a bit of work at the other one that's at, um, in East Kalimantan. Um, but then I ended up moving across to the one in central Kalimantan because it was really busy. Um, so, there, I think. They're definitely the biggest orangutan centre. Um, they're one of the biggest ape centres or great ape centres in the world. Um, they have been doing a lot of releases, which is great. So the numbers have gone down. I went back in February yeah. for a visit um, when I was there. So to put some perspective on the numbers, and it's, it is a little bit sobering, the centre was designed to house about 100 animals. Yes. And when I arrived, and this is in 2006, there was, um, I think there was... 300 animals, so already three times original capacity. When I left in the year, 450 animals. So, so tell us about the process. Why, orang- why do orangutans end up in this um, rescue centre? So how do they get there? And what's the process of rehabilitating them and how successful is that? Yeah, so most of them are... Uh, well, the underlying problem is habitat loss, definitely, deforestation. So palm oil is one of the, the massive, massive ones. Um, you know, simple uh, uh, logging and um, land clearing for houses and stuff is also a, a huge problem. Um, they have a big problem with wildfires as well, and a lot of them have been purposefully, purposefully lit to, to clear the land, yeah. Um, <clears throat> Um, yeah, some of them done by big business, some of them done by farmers who don't really know what they're doing and they get out of control. Um, the local people use fire very, very well. So there's the local diacs, they're called. The, um, they're amazing. They'll light a fire and almost burn it in a direct straight line and it will stop. But uh, yeah, a, lot of them are, a lot of the farmers, that the fires are getting away from them are um, Indonesians, but from other, other areas. Um, so, yeah, a lot of them are coming in from deforestation, um, a lot of the babies that are coming in are, have been poached, essentially, and so they're coming from the, the pet trade. Um, it's quite common for a farm or even out on the palm oil plantations for them to, to kill the mother and keep the baby for a while. Um, the baby can either will either be confiscated. So we, I actually went out... The, so the when I went... So the orangutan called Tristan, sorry, he was... I actually went out on his rescue, so I kind of followed him yes. from the start. Or his, not his rescue, I should say, his confiscation. He was kept in a... It's very depressing when you see them. These tiny little wooden cages that have been knocked together and they, people just throw rice and stuff through. Some of them are voluntarily um, surrendered, which yeah. is really good, and a lot of them, are, you know, they realise that they're inappropriate or they keep them for a bit and they get bored. Um, but the, the rehabilitation process is very long and very involved, um, out in the wild, the babies will stick with their mums for seven, eight years, six, seven, eight years. So sometimes some of these infants were coming in and their umbilicus are still wet, you know. You're talking about days, sometimes even hours old. So they've got six, seven, eight years at least in, in rehab and they've got to learn all the skills of the of the forest. So they spend a bit of time, depending on where their age group is, but, you know, say using those really tiny infants as an example, they'll spend the first year or two in the infant group and where they're essentially being mothered by... They used to call them... They'd call them babysitters rather than um, 
keepers or anything, so the babysitters will look after them while they're really little, and then they'll go into the, it's essentially a, a preschool, and then when they're big enough, they'll go in, they'll graduate into forest school, which is um, essentially primary school, and they group group them with the, they're they're amazing, knowing the the babysitters are great at working out who knows what and who gets on with who, and then they'll move them up through the classes depending on their size and their ability, till they reach about. Seven, eight, when they reach um, uh, adolescence, um, and then once those puberty hormones kick in, they are very difficult to deal with. Yes. So some of them, some of the more relaxed, bigger ones would go out to forest school too, which is, you know, essentially the for the teenagers, and they're often another section. The ones that aren't able to be handled will be grouped together depending on who gets on well with who and then they'll often either get put into, they'll call them socialisation cages, which really big cages where they can keep them in, in a group, or they'll put them onto little islands. Um, and the islands the islands are essentially living almost as if they're in the wild and they, they have feeding platforms that they'll feed them once or twice a day depending on what's going on. So they're never going to be fully... Oh, no. independent or they are but no, they, they so, still provide feeding yeah when they're on the islands yes. yeah but then um so it's essentially the, the main problem with the release is not them being ready it's the fact that there's nowhere to release them so yes i went to um um Cephalock a few years ago yep. um, and they've got a um, pretty decent um facility there but it but as you say it was heartbreaking that each of those adult orangutans in the wild need about a kilometer square kilometer of good forest mm-hmm. to survive and the forest at Sepalock is about just 200 and 240 square kilometres, mm. so its carrying capacity is 240 uh, adult orangutans, mm. and there's um, more than 300 there already, and they're still processing the the orphans and the injured ones there. Yeah, it's really, de- but like it's really depressing when you think really about it. Yeah, depressing. Um, and the, in, the at um, Sandakan, Sepalok, uh, uh, um, they had trouble with one of the young males as he reached uh, puberty. He was really thin and, and had been ill, mm-hmm. um, but he would just wander into the... the um, they'd put him out in the forest. He'd easily just wander out and wander into the, the, the uh, where all the accommodation was and break into women's rooms and steal their underwear. <laughs> <laughs> Routinely. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, I mean, that was definitely... Because I was living on site, that was one of the things that... The undie thief. Was that one called um, Tristan? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <called Tristan. laughs> yeah, it wasn't 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 uncommon to come home after a long day of work and find your house trashed. And it wasn't because it was a thief. It was because someone broke away from a forest school. Um, they actually stole my laptop, so I had to make. I'm serious. I had to make an insurance claim. I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's from one of the newsletters. It's probably framed on someone's wall where I made an insurance claim because an orangutan broke into my house. And took my laptop and smashed it, like dropped it from the truck. I've got it back. Did, did they pay work. out on the? Yeah, they paid out. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. They're not stupid. They know things that are expensive and shiny. So you have an excuse now, Tristan. If somebody posts under your name that it wasn't me, <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty good excuse. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. So, I mean, in the long term, what's the future? Pretty bleak because the the, the forest is just going to yeah well, until they start to continue. Yeah, until they start protecting it. That's the problem. There's actually a big, there's a big issue over in Sumatra at the moment. Um, 
So they recently discovered, well, they recently divided uh, the Sumatran orangutans and they've discovered a new species, essentially. It's always been there, but actually classified as a new species, and it's very localised to one particular area. Um, and there's plans to build a dam and some hydroelectric power, yeah. which is probably will decimate, if not, yeah, if not severely, severely reduce yeah. the numbers. So there's a big lobby to try and stop that. But hopefully, the, it hard, the hardest thing when we were in so the, uh, where Sandakan is, it's um, the Malaysian part yeah. of Borneo, um, and you know I was all fired up with you know red hot hate for. Um, uh, the palm oil plantations, and but when you're actually there talking to um, the the um, local people on the ground, they're they're struggling, and they've got you know you people in the west are consuming this stuff. It's not we're not planting red palm oil just for the heck of it. We're doing it because we're behind you, and you're buying it, and mm. we can make a living out of it. Um, so we're all complicit. It's not uh, it's not just the people who live in those countries. We we live in. Um, cities that uh, use the world's resources at a far greater clip than those people do, and they 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 literally said to me, "You guys have trashed your place, and and you're having a go at us for trashing ours, so we can catch up." Not yeah. fair. Yeah, no, yeah, I agree with you totally. And most of the people, are, especially the the workers on the ground, they just want to feed their families. You know, they just they need an income. So if there's no income coming from palm oil, they've got to try and source an income elsewhere. Yeah, and you're right. Most of it's getting exported, and it's in. 50% of all products on the shelf. So, and I think there's a real issue with not with the labelling. So you can't try, you can't make informed choices. It's really hard. But yeah, I think um, our impact here, or even a small change here, can have a huge impact over there. No, I definitely agree with you. And, yeah. and the whole um, bringing up the idea that we've trashed our country first is something that people don't really think about. And you know, um, it's very true. It's, we just did it 100 years ago. It's very difficult for us to look down our nose yeah. from our high perch and, and say, you know, you must do this with your resources. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, our our government is, well, uh, there's lots of Australian companies and governments, schemes that are doing you know, doing vast amounts of deforestation yeah. over in other, in other countries. So, yeah. you know, that's a, a, direct, uh, a direct result from, from here. And, so we had a, um, an excellent session today at the UPAV conference, um, and um, and I was I was uh, very pleased to listen to a couple of your presentations today, Tristan. But the the one that um, really uh, um, rocked my socks was the um, was the um, the crabs on uh, Christmas Island. That was an excellent presentation. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I was. Uh I had never been to Christmas Island before, and you know, I, was, I was amazed seeing it. So I thought it was really a good thing to try and share around, and that's what I really like about these conferences: is yeah, spreading spreading knowledge and also yeah, spreading experiences. Yeah, it was a um, it was a fantastic um, presentation, um, Tristan, and, and um, we have an award, don't we, Mark, um, for our conferences called the Toady Award, <laughs> which is a, an award for the most entertaining <laughs> and, and unusual. Um, presentation and it's um, always a unique gift I suppose you could call it that um, um, the, loosely the, the prize and um, yeah I think you're in the running for that one um, Tristan and just quietly um, I voted for you <laughs> um, but um, the announcement of the winner will be um, tomorrow night so um, um, which will be in the past when this um, recording goes well, well, to air but um, um, 
it won't be my fault if you don't win, Tristan. <laughs> okay, that's all I'm saying. I'll, yeah. I'll transfer the twenty dollars later. <laughs> yeah, thank enough. you very much. Now, I want to jump back to 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 one other story that um, I've I've heard from you, Tristan. And I think it's another one from Borneo, and um, it's 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 a little story about a parasite and, yeah. a, and, and a treatment. Do you want to kind of links that links back to these conferences many yes. years ago as well? Yes. Yeah, where I presented a few a few case studies. Um, yeah, so. While I was over in Indonesia, I did manage to lose a significant amount of weight, um, and I was uh, I was doing a lot of coughing as well. And we had we were working with some TB positive animals, and I did some crew testing over. Well, I shouldn't say crew testing. Well, yeah, so we were working with some TB positive animals, and I did the testing that was available at the time, and it all came back negative. So I, I was actually quite convinced that I'd picked up TB, and I thought, oh well, I'll just. I'll tough it out for the next... <laughs> I'll sweat it out for the next six months. And then um, when I'm back in Melbourne, I'll get it all sorted out. I won't tell anyone in case there's problems at, at the border. Customs. Yeah, I don't want to, <laughs> want to get whisked away into a bubble. Anyway. And then during the, during the time I was there, I, uh, I was quite sun-sensitive because I was on doxycycline for malaria. Um, and I'm also very sensitive to mosquito bites. I've always scratched mosquito bites a lot. So I'd have you know, always really itchy feet most of the time. Um, and then one day, one of the other vets was we just sort of chatting and they said, how come your mosquito bites are just on your feet? Why don't you scratch them anywhere else? I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. And then <laughs> I hadn't really thought about that. And he's like, you are coughing a lot, but you're negative for TB, aren't you? Like, yeah, that's true. And he said, there's a lot of... Um, a lot of strongaloides in the in the collection. Strongaloides are, you know, so yeah, it's, it's a little a little worm. Yeah. Um, and so I um, oh, and I'd also sort of backtrack a little bit. Had also had some, you know, um, not quite regular motions, and I just put it down to gastrointestinal, gastrointestinal disturbances. disturbances. Is probably the better way to say. Yeah. Did eat a lot of chili, so I just assumed it was <laughs> chili related. Anyway, so one day I nipped off back to my room and came back with a, a little pot of a sample and had a look under the microscope and it looked like I'd uh, shared some parasites with the, <laughs> so let with me, the animals. Let me be clear, um, Tristan, most of us in Unusual News Audit Pets do lots of faecal examinations in our clinics, but not too many of us do our own faecal <laughs> no, examination. No. Is that what you did? Yes. Yeah, that's exactly what I did, yeah. I did my own faecal examination and then... Then the, the the pieces of the puzzle slowly clicked together because the strongaloides, essentially they live in the environment. They're burying through the skin, normally on your feet because you're walking through the swamp. And the the centre would give us gumboots to to protect us from the from the, the um, parasites and the mud, but mine used to always go missing because mine were slightly bigger than everybody else's and I couldn't fit into everybody any in the smaller guy's feet. So I used to walk through the jungle in my in my yeah, one my sandals in my thongs, which are footwear for you American listeners. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know about that, Brendan? Yes. Um, yeah anyway, so then yeah the worms bury through your skin and your feet, they get into your bloodstream, they burst out into your lungs where you cough them up and then you swallow them. That's how they get into your stomach. So putting it all together, sores, my, the mosquito bites on my feet were actually the worms and then I was coughing because they were popping out of my lungs and then I had my <laughs> gastrointestinal signs because I had a gut full of worms. So treatment, Tristan. Treatment, I uh, drank some of the worm that we had there for the animals and my the itching, itching stopped within about 
two minutes. My feet stopped no. inching. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So that was um, Ivermectin. Wasn't yeah, Ivermectin. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. What it a tastes great story. terrible. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> terrible. Story. I actually threw up the first the first <laughs> lot because you have to drink such a large. Well, I worked it out on a weight basis, and I had to drink eighty mils of the preparation. That we eighty had. mils. Eighty. And I think maybe it was forty mils, and then I drank another forty. <laughs> <laughs> well, I threw up. I basically brought up the first lot. It's disgusting. Uh, what a fantastic story! <laughs> what a fantastic story! Now, we're going to talk about your snakes. Snake story that you used to tell all the students. Which one was that? At your um, <laughs> when I had to ring you about. about uh, a, we'll tell uh, the story. The, the, the tell, yeah. Yes. Well, this is another Tristan story, isn't it? And, and it gets bigger and bigger every year when I tell it to students yeah. at um, Melbourne University and and students uh, at some other. Universities and there's a lot of them too. who listen to this, so they'll be interested in the background. Yes, and and. Tristan, I'm a, I'm a bit nervous about telling this. Yeah, I'm a bit nervous about this too. Actually, Tristan, <laughs> I can't believe I brought it up. Tristan usually, um, I, I usually embellish it a little bit. This story, so um, I'm, I'm sure Tristan's going to correct me on some of this. Um, so um, I was away at a at a weekend conference, I think, as usual. If, if this is the story we were talking about, I don't know whether this the tiger, tiger snake story. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and as it's not unusual for me, I was away at a, away at a conference speaking and um, Tristan was kind enough to be um, working at the clinic and filling in that weekend. And I think it was a Saturday. Um, this is what I tell it, but it probably wasn't. I can't remember what day it was. Um, yeah. Well, I'll tell the story, Tristan, and you can tell me it's all <laughs> a load of around. crap and um, <laughs> that it's all wrong. Um, and uh, I had a call... Um, not like in between the breaks of the conference um, where I was giving my presentations and I was looking forward to that um, weekend but after that call I um, was a bit of a downer and I was a bit depressed and I was a bit worried that I might get a call from the veterinary board um, about um, problems at my clinic because the call was from one of my nurses and saying oh um, backtracking um, we we had a, um, a venomous snake booked in a tiger snake um, which is a highly venomous um, species kept as a pet um, and Tristan um, was was the person who, who saw this tiger snake and it had an issue with its um, backside area, its cloacal region. It had a bit of a mass. Um, and um, Maybe tri- a prolapse? Yeah, Tristan had the client hold, um, doing a, a, a handhold of, of the head, um, of, of the head of the snake, and Tristan was poking around, having a really good time looking at them <laughs> and assessing the prolapse um, in the backside of this snake. And I think the client was quite interested as well, and he, 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 he loosened his grip on the head of the snake and as a result the the client was bitten by his own snake and so the call i received at the conference was oh you know that snake that um tristan was booked in to see we've we've just uh, waved goodbye to the ambulance and he's off the way off to the hospital to intensive care mm. um, so that, so that was um the first part of the story and i use this story um as a bit of a, a, a teaching episode for everybody, because yeah. um, I then um, I then um, went into panic mode a little bit, and uh, I had the clinic ring in the hospital every day um, that next week, and he did spend a reasonable amount of time in, in um, intensive care there in coronary care. Um, one to make sure he's still alive, um, and two to to, to check that um, to, to check that. Um, 
we're, we're providing good customer service because I think <laughs> I think it is a good story as far as customer service because you need to the worst thing you can do that I um, and, and I don't know whether you you will agree with me Tristan or Mark is to let things fester when you have a complaint the worst <laughs> thing you can do is if somebody complains that that, that that it's not acted on, and and I think part of the reason why this is a good story, apart from the fact that um, it's a funny story, is that um, it's funny now. We, we, kept, <laughs> we kept phoning the, the the hospital and saying you were okay, and and as a result of that, I think part of it is um, about a week and a half after uh, um, um, the occurrence, he was he had been released from hospital a few days before, and we received a huge delivery of flowers to the clinic from the client. Um, thanking us um, for, or thanking Tristan for throwing him in the ambulance um, and saving his life. So I, um, I use it as a, a demonstration of um, you know being positive with with um, replying to complaints. And um, the the other twist to this story is, as as far as I know, this was the first um, reptile this this person had owned. Um, yeah, I think it was the first pet he'd ever had, the first reptile he'd ever had. Um, and, and unfortunately in, in Victoria you can um, the, in theory you can do what he's done um, and, and pay pay the licence fee and go out and buy a highly venomous reptile um, without having any experience at all which which is shocking. And I did see him a, eight weeks or so later um, with that snake because obviously the, the prolapse or the lump hadn't been addressed because he was in the hospital in, in intensive of care um, and he brought the animal back and the prolapse had got a lot worse or the lump had got a lot worse and I ended up euthanizing the animal and the, and I suggested to the client that, that perhaps the next animal he should get as a reptile may be a bit of dragon or something a little bit yeah. less venomous um, for it but but I think it's a, a, a fun and an interesting educational story on, on lots of levels because of that yeah so um, but I tend to embellish it a little bit each time, so it gets bigger and bigger, doesn't it, Tristan? Um, and the snake yeah. gets bigger and bigger, I think, as well. Um, yeah, but, but that's the gist of that but story. Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. think it also highlights the fact that I mean, we did tell him to bring proper equipment, and um, he arrived without the proper equipment, and I did try and send him away, and maybe I should have just been a little bit more forceful about refusing to, to see it, but... Um, Perhaps we, did, we should have let natural selection work the way it should have with this particular case, yes. I have one other um, interesting uh, or, or related story with, with tiger snakes um, mm. that I think you've both probably heard, and this is when I was working in another clinic, and, and actually a similar process that had a problem, it had a cloacitis, it had inflammation oh, yeah. of the backside of this tiger snake, and this tiger snake was owned by <laughs> owned by somebody who, who was in... Um, a bikey gang, um, and you know, I always say half jokingly, only half jokingly. If 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 somebody who is in one of these bikey gangs um, doesn't want to pay your bill, you just let them walk out the door because, you know, I, I value my kneecaps, and I, I you know I don't want them chasing me. And he came in, and he and he was a full on. Um, he they literally uh, he arrived with his minder, which was another bikey um, mm. who had the wraparound sunglasses and the full beard and and the bikey. Um, I won't say what what. Um, what bikey group it was, <laughs> um, um, jacket, jacket um, and that that minder, that that second bikey, literally just stood in the corner of the consult room with his arms folded, mm. with his wraparound um, dark sunglasses, and just stared at me the whole time. Well, uh, most of the time, you'll see what you'll hear what happened in a moment. Um, 
So same thing, I had the client um, holding the head of the snake mm. um, and I was poking around the, the backside and there was, it was a very small consult room and I did have a, a nurse in there as well and I also had a vet student as well. So I oh, had wow. myself, a nurse, a veterinary student or, so, or technician um, for those of you in the US. Um, and, Two to six and, foot and, nine bikies. And the bikies, yeah. So that's what, five people in, in this very small consult room. And a venomous snake. And, yes, and it was, <laughs> nothing, well... Nothing well, can go wrong there. And, and, have, and, you, have you updated your insurance, and, Brendan? And, and they're not well, listening, are they? Well, we might talk about that a bit later, um, the exotic pet insurance. Um, <laughs> um, 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 so, um, and it was a little bit smelly um, and a pretty confined space mm. in this consult room and... I was having a really good time, and I sort of got a little bit carried away because I was poking around the the backside of this snake, and all of a sudden the snake just flew out of my hands. <laughs> and what had happened is um, the bikey had fainted yeah, when nice. I was holding it. Um, so, and, and uh, this, con- this the consult the consultation room in this clinic um, was a solid. Um, um, concrete floor, crack, and I could yes, I could literally hear his head hit the ground. So I oh, had wow. a bike. He hit the ground, and his head literally bounced a couple of times. <laughs> um, I had the snake fly across the room and just land in the middle of the room. <laughs> um, and and I think the well, it wasn't funny at the time, but the 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 funniest thing was that the minder um, who had the wraparound sunglasses who never said a word to me, mm. he just took off. He just headed out the door, He's and I never out. saw him again. Yeah. Um, so um, we managed to bag up the um, snake again. Um, he he didn't have any obvious injuries, and I was surprised that um, that well, the, the owner, not the snake. Um, um, I, I thought he'd had a skull fracture, um, and he finally came to. Um, and the snake wasn't quite right, and and, and it did end up um, dying. This snake, and I think what had happened is he good on him was still hanging on to that snake and i was hanging on to the tail as well so when he fainted we basically pulled each each side and 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 broke its back um i broke its spine so um it was still alive um and and was alive for probably 24 hours but it looked like it had neurological signs and that just ended up Mm. dying so did that student graduate Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember who it was, literally. But um, maybe they're a very, they're probably a very famous exotics vet now. And, um, yeah, they're um, probably telling or, that story. Or they they work as an accountant somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So, so again, I, I I think some people shouldn't keep some of these um, reptiles and these animals. But yeah, I certainly wasn't going to say that to the to, to my two bikey friends there. Um, and I didn't see him again, or, or the or the silent minder bikey yeah. as well. But it was a, quite a surreal experience, yeah. So it's one of the, the great things about our profession, and particularly doing these um, interviews, that it forces us to bring those, um, like, recall those stories. And our profession, whether it takes us to Borneo or um, into conflict with the um, <laughs> local bikers, um, it's a profession that takes us all around the world. And I can't say thanks enough for um, sharing your stories with us, Tristan. And um, we look forward to uh, um, uh, catching up at the next UPAV conference, and maybe we'll have a talk again. Yeah, definitely. It's been fun. Thanks. Thanks, Tristan. Well, there you go, Mark. That's um, that's only a small part of Tristan's story, and um, the legend grows, I think, <laughs> now that um, we've heard a little bit more or a lot more about, about Tristan and his escapades, Mark. I know, and, Brendan, that whole story just makes me want to uh, um, go to the 
the uh, cupboard above the freezer where we keep our medications at home and there's always a few worming tablets in there that don't immediately get used. I'm going to pop a couple of those right now. I think that is a very good thing to do, Mark. I think we, um, we, we're often berating our clients for not worming their patients, but um, we're very poor at worming ourselves. So, so with that thought, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you all next week. for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi thanks again and see you next time